Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness. And tonight I've got a special treat. Uh, I've got Wifey with me. She and I have been out earlier this evening enjoying a nice little date night, a little dinner action. And she, ha- she may or may not have had a couple margaritas. I only had two, and you drank half of each one, so technically I had one. Yeah, I, I don't think your definition of half is the same as my definition of half. When you take one gulp, it's like half the drink's gone. Yeah, yeah, you, you keep saying that, but yet you're the one tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't take me much. Yeah, right. So uh, we, ha- we were having some, uh, some interesting conversations tonight. We were jumping around the relationship realm, so we're going to get to... Uh, this point of talking to this concept or speaking to this concept that uh, lit up the Hardwater One group around unconditional love. So the whole drive home, uh, Christine and I were having this conversation about whether or not it exists. And I don't even know how we got off on the topic. Did you bring it up or did, did I bring it up or how did, how did we get on the topic? I don't even know how we started on it. I just, I wish we had uh, recorded it. It was, yeah, it was, it was a decent. good conversation. It was all right. It was all right. It was all right. I had some pretty good concepts in there. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think we were talking about different books that we were that we were into, and you were saying that you were into the Marianne Williamson book, Return to Love. That's a great book. Yeah. I've, I'm on my. I'm listening to it. It's on Audible for the third time. For the third time. What is it about this book that keeps you coming back? It's just jam-packed with concepts um, that everyone can relate to, and I have many times. And every time I, I listen to it, I hear something new, probably because whatever's going on in my life, it, it relates to that. And so I, I you know, tuned to whatever it is she's talking about. And um, it's really the type of book you, you, you keep and you keep referencing and you keep going back to just because of all of the information that's really jammed in such a small book. It's her take on uh, a course on miracles and, um, which is a meaty book, how to, you know, really a a self-development type of book, how to gather your emotions and gain spiritual enlightenment basically. Yeah. So maybe we should tell people about A Course in Miracles first, since that seems to be the genesis of the book that you're referencing. And uh, ACIM, or A Course in Miracles, is a mile long, and it was, how should we say, it wasn't really written, it was divined. Divined through the author. Yeah, divined through the the authors. And uh, I forget who the original author. And it's it's a meaty book, and there's an actual workbook that comes with it. Yeah, it's a mile thick. Um, it wasn't Marianne Williamson that, oh, I know what they call it scribing, the person who scribed the book. So basically, the argument that they give is the, the book wasn't written. It was given to, what's her name? It was channeled through Channeled, them. yeah. What was her name, though? The woman who wrote, who originally scribed it? I don't know. Google it. Let's see. I haven't read the book yet. I've downloaded the book on Audible, and I still haven't gotten through it. uh, Schumann or something like that? I forget her name. Um, Helen Shookman, I think is how you say her name. Helen Shookman and William Thetford, it says. I'm not sure how I pronounce her name, so I apologize if I'm butchering that. But she supposedly was given the book from Divine Inspiration, and she calls herself a scribe. And the book was just sort of offered up to the world as this work um, that belongs to everyone. And so I think Marianne Williamson has a version of it. And Return to Love, you said, is based on it? Yeah, she really just the, the lessons she's, she learned from going through A Course in Miracles. Mm, gotcha. So what was it that prompted you to pick it up this time? Well, this time uh, I, uh, I picked it up. We had gotten into a little fight. I had walked away from you. My emotions were all tied up in a knot in my gut and in my throat. And I had no, um, I was at loss of communicating 
and uh, just my, um, it's like my emotions were all in a knot. So I just find peace listening to her voice and I uh, started listening to it. And some of the things, you know, I, I had randomly just picked a spot in the book. I think it was chapter four. I started listening to it and, um, and she, it was like she was talking to me. Yeah. So what were you, what were you picking up? Because obviously if you, were, if you were picking it up, it was something that, you know, you either needed to hear or were open to relating to in the moment. I think I'm still processing what it was, but in, uh, in summary, really she, she went on uh, about how taking responsibility for feelings and ownership for my own feelings and understanding that it's not you that makes me feel a certain way. It's, I feel this way when you say this idea, um, that was right right around the part that I started listening to right away. And I, <laughs> I realized, damn, she's, she's right. And, um, most of the time, well, all the time, really, I think for myself, I guess I could speak for myself is I, um, when I have this emotional turmoil or resistance within me, it's because of, I call it the demon within me, something that I haven't overcome emotionally and it's been triggered and uh it's it's not really you per se it's just uh something within me and there's work that I know I have to do for myself so that I can get past uh this crazy resistance right and so you know a lot of people talk about you know quote unquote doing the work right and in this instance in your mind or in your practice, like what does it mean to actually do the work when you say you need, you, you met with resistance over an idea or a feeling that came up for you? What is, you know, what's, what's the practical application of quote unquote doing the work? I think it's just self-inquiry asking the questions. You know, if you go to Byron Katie's work, she calls it the work. It's, it comes down to four questions and, um, inquiring in inwards and, and asking, you know, is it true? Is, is what I'm feeling true? Is what I'm thinking true? And <clears throat> really taking time to, to think about why, why am I feeling this way? And I think I was listening to her book and I was stuck in this emotional, I call it like an, almost like an emotional knot I've had in, in the back of my throat and my gut. I was mad, out of control, really with how I was feeling. Um, and listening to the book when I was walking home helped calm me down. Really, it was when we had our conversation afterwards that helped me, you know, sort through and realize what I was telling myself wasn't true. Mm -hmm. So really the work is taking that time and facing the feelings, inquiring about them, Maybe that's through conversation. Maybe that's releasing it through screaming or crying or whatever that is. And then coming to a resolution. Then I think the next time it comes up, it's maybe not completely resolved because I don't, I think that, you know, the work is, it happens again, the emotions come up and maybe that knot is not as hard and maybe it's a little bit softer and it takes not as long to get through all those emotions the next time around. I think because of the sense of awareness that I may have gained from the, ex the you know, the first experience of facing it head on and attempting to understand what was going on, really. And I think the, that is the work. It's it's facing the fear, the emotion, the feeling, the whatever it is, and um and continuing to face it. And so you, I think at first I, for myself, you know, gain an awareness of it. And sometimes it takes another emotional response to it or something else that might trigger it. And maybe I think, oh, I've, that's resolved, but then something else happens and the similar issue arises and, or emotional response arises. And, and I realize, oh, actually 
that's still deep in there. Mm. Can you give me an example of something that you feel like is like a deeply embedded, you know, recurring, I guess you'd say program that runs through your mind and and causes you to feel a certain way? Well, I think it's a a story maybe that runs in my mind um, would be that I'm not good enough. And that runs uh, deep and runs um, in different areas of my life. So maybe it's around my health and my fitness goals or around my financial goals, it'll come in or in the relationship that we have. Um, I think it can look in different ways, but at its core, it's really the story that I tell myself that I'm not good enough. Mm, So when you take a look at that, which is, I think, you know, an amazing thing to do, first of all, obviously take a look at that. I think you hit the nail on the head with the self-inquiry piece, super key, right? And, you know, if you look around uh, in today's world and when you're talking to people, you can tell that very few people are really good observers of the outside world and even fewer people are good observers of themselves. And so having that self-inquiry piece helps you, I think, get at least on the path to where you need to go, right? But then once you're aware of it, so like in this case, you brought up the self-worth program or issue, which I know we all carry, like I definitely carry that. I got a healthy dose of that from a crazy household that I grew up in. And, uh, you know, where did yours sort of originate or come from? Do you think like when you're looking at that and you're doing that self-inquiry, what's coming to mind in terms of what's triggering it for you? You know what I mean? Like where's the, what was the original genesis or beginning point of that way of thinking I'm not worthy? Honestly, I think it came from you know, as a young child watching my parents and how they interact with each other and some of the words my father used towards my mother and being, you know, they were, they had immigrated to Canada. English was their second language and they didn't speak it very well. Um, when, when you're speaking Italian and you want to translate to English, a lot of words just literally don't translate. And so when they would communicate or when my dad would communicate to my mom, he would use certain words that in the English language maybe weren't, it wasn't the right word. So there was a lot of words used that maybe were out of context or just the wrong word, but maybe came across even more harsh, like a word that you just wouldn't use if you were if you only knew English, right? Mm. So uh, he would, you know, and, and they would argue and they would yell. And, um, a lot of the times he would put my mother down and that still triggers me today. Um, and I think that that, some of that, it may have come from, uh, just observing and listening and seeing how they interacted with each other. And I associated, or I created that story, that I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I can think of. I mean, but how did you like? You know, you were talking about watching your father address your mother in a certain way. But at what point did that transfer to you as a, as an individual? You know, like if it wasn't directed at you, for example, um, what about that interaction would have caused you to say, okay, well, you know, I need to feel a certain way because of the way my dad speaks to my mom? Or have you ever thought about that? Um, I think there was times when he, out of rage or when he was mad or he was trying, you know, frustrated because he was trying to communicate that, um, that he spoke that way to to me directly too. So Mm. I'm sure that it wasn't just, um, him talk the way he talked to my mom. Um, it took me many years to truly understand how my dad loves and, um, you know, I, I know he, he loves me 100%, um, in and out. (laughs) He, um, I think just from childhood experiences that, um, he was hard on all of us. He was hard on me. And I think he, he, at the time, you know, he really, his intention was that he wanted the absolute best for me, but how he was communicating it wasn't in the moment, the, the, the best way for me to understand, mm-hmm. you know, I was born in Canada and, you know, in school and learned English. And 
still had, um, you know, a difficult time understanding at a young age what my father was really trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think, uh, I think your dad's a little bit older than my dad, if I remember correctly. My dad's coming up on 70-ish. Yeah, my dad's turning 79. Yeah, but they're that generation, right? Like they didn't have the tools. Like I can tell you point blank that, you know, coming up in my house, listening to my mom and dad scream and fight each other, you know, um, you know, threatening each other, you know, the whole nine yards. It was, uh, it was crazy. Yeah. Some, of the, I mean, some of the words that, that they would use for one another, I mean, you know, every curse word in the book you could think of, you know, every insult you can imagine being tossed back and forth. And I remember in those moments of like those guys going at it, um, you know, or, uh, my mom being really, you know, like super high energy, you know, like, and, and my dad's trying to like play peacemaker and, you know, that was their dynamic, you know, um, one was a fighter and one was a placator kind of a thing. And I remember in those moments, like when they were upset, like my mom would literally say, like she would literally fling insults at me and my brother. And, you know, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, you're worthless or you're never going to amount to anything or, you know, all the rest of it. So I know for a fact that experiencing that like directed at me was, you know, part of what helped form, you know, those core beliefs that I carry that I've had to do so much work around. Um, putting myself out there and, and not feeling inadequate when I do that or inadequate in a relationship or a job or a business or whatever the thing may be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can totally relate to that piece. And it's kind of interesting that, I mean, your family, Southern Italian, right. Um, hard headed, you know, loud. It'll test duro. <laughs> yeah. Hard headed. Uh, my family, you know, uh, rural Georgia, same sort of thing, hard-headed, you know, you can't, you're not going to change their mind. If, if they think a certain way, they think a certain way, you can forget about it, right? And so knowing that we both have similar backgrounds and then knowing that we both came into the personal development world with those similar backgrounds and came into this relationship literally from meeting at personal development workshop in California, um, it's, it's amazing how similar our life paths are. So I think that sometimes when we fight, it's because we're falling back on some of the programs that were given to us as kids that we don't, you know, that we don't have full control over yet. Definitely. At least I I think that's for me, a lot of times what's running me. Well, I think there's only, well, there's very common programs that all run, run in us. And the worthiness one, I, I, I would, I would like to meet the first person in the world that would say (laughs) they don't have a worthiness um, program. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I think there's self-worth issues around people who've been told, Hey, you're never going to amount to anything or, you know, you're worthless kind of a thing. Like they've literally been ingrained since childhood. But then I think there's people who are just afraid to put themselves out in front of people. I don't know if that's the same thing as having a a worthiness program or like a, a self-esteem issue. Like you don't esteem yourself in a high enough regard to where you feel like, what I have to say is valuable. You know, like one of my mentors to me said one time, um, you know, we were talking about quotes and I love quotes, right? And I think the reason that I love quotes and, and many people do is that it's like somebody else found a way to say something beautifully that you already feel and understand, but didn't think of that way of saying it, right? And so it's, it, it hits you hard, right? It hits that, that belief that you already carry and someone else's words you put on a pedestal because it's someone else and someone else who's probably written a book and probably dead at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my mentor was like, dude, why is some dead guy's words worth more than yours? You know? And, and I thought about that. I was like, you know, that's a good point. You know, why is some dead guy's words worth more than mine? Why do I esteem someone else's words more than my own? And from that point forward, I started quoting myself. (laughs) (laughs) which seems kind of like silly and arrogant, but by the same token, it's a way of saying, you know what? I believe that I have value to offer and I believe enough in this value that I'm willing to put my name, you know, and tie my name to it sort of a thing. Right. I think our egos get in the way. Well, uh, for sure. I mean, that that's everyone for sure. And then why were we talking about unconditional love in the car? How did that topic come up? I think I was trying to build my case to getting a puppy. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> no, not really. But I just thought that was, that would have been a good one. Cause I, I, I remember saying 
you know, there is such thing as unconditional love and that comes from a dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well the unconditional love thing came from the Facebook post that I put in the hard water one group, right? There was a yeah, big Yeah. That was in the, in there. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about the, but how did it come up tonight? I don't know. Like today I was shopping and there was a, a quote on the, you know, have they have those big wood plaques and it'll have a quote engraved in it. Yeah. And it said, be the, be the person that your, your dog thinks you are, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah. Be the person today that your dog, dog thinks you are. Yeah. I thought that was funny because true, like you, a dog just loves you. And, uh, it got me thinking about that, that quote and, um, Marianne Williamson talks about it. Unconditional there is such thing as unconditional love and, and, uh, when you remove the ego. Mm. It's interesting that you brought up the dog thing because I think on the unconditional love post, someone brought up the dog thing and the dog thing is interesting because it's totally, it's comparing apples to oranges and I'll explain why. So when in the human mind, we have the ability, one of the things that separates us from the, the lower primates and other animals is we have a distinct and clear ability to, to project into the future. Like if you ask me about tomorrow, I can talk to you intelligently about what tomorrow might look like. You know, this podcast will be posted and, you know, I'll be working at my desk in the afternoon. I'll be doing my morning routine. You know, you'll be at the office doing whatever you're doing, right? Like there's, I have a clear understanding or intention around the future, but a dog doesn't have that, right? So a dog, it's funny because you know, um, a dog displays lots of characteristics that humans love. And one of the reasons they're able to do that is because they don't worry. They don't have the ability to project themselves into tomorrow. They do have some ability. They have the ability to remember past. That's where, what makes them trainable, right? Right. They don't really have the ability to live in the future. And it kind of comes back to that quote of, you know, man crucifies himself between two thieves, you know, regret for the past and a fear of the future and the dog only has to deal with one. Right. And it's well, even a child would too, a young child. In what way? Well, I think that a young child doesn't really think about the future Mm. and there's unconditional love through, through a child. Mm. Um, and I think as, as a child grows and has experiences, these like barriers get put up for sure. Right. Where they experience, fear or rejection or, you know, something in, you know, not, not being loved or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they turn into, you know, an adult and they've got all these limiting beliefs and limiting thoughts and that unconditional love that's within them gets buried up, buried up. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, I guess we could read some child psychology, but I I think you know, children learn the most between the ages of like two and seven or two and five or something like that. You know, they're just soaking up every stimulus that they get, right? They're, they're just sort of, they're not blank slates. I think we've proven, I think science has proven that children are not born blank slates, but they're largely blank and they're soaking up every aspect of life and learning and um, learning to navigate and learning to use their bodies. And, uh, but as far as the unconditional love thing goes, like here's where I would disagree with you because I feel like a child doesn't really know what love is. I feel like a child is unconditionally dependent, really, at the end of the day. Like uh, a child has no, you know, no real free will at this point, no real autonomy. The child is bound to the parent. I think, and then the brain cocktail or the chemical cocktail in the mom's brain is like, (laughs) you know, transposing every little need into love, right? But it's not really love. Well, I think it's love. And I think that there is even some some research and science behind children that are loved at a young age, you know, held and, and loved and how they, they turn out as adults versus the child that never had the cuddling and the loving and the hugging and the human touch. So there's definitely something out there that can't really be conceptualized or understood or communicated really in words. So this is interesting, right? So what you made, you made an interesting point there. So I said it's unconditional dependence and you, and you were talking about how children who are um, held and who are 
sort of embraced and touched and shown affection and loved and loved they grew up to be what were you saying like better humans or i don't know about better humans just there there's some science out there i I can't quote it but if you google it google has the answer for everything right (laughs) (laughs) um i just remember reading at, at some point the effect on a child by that that it has when they're you know when they're an older adult if they were young and they were cared for and loved and held and um, the difference in their yeah so this is what I'm getting at right so is all are all of those things that you mentioned cared for held is that love no that's part of love I think it's experience that you have I think. Well, I, I guess I see where you're going. I mean, it's a perception. Each person might have a perception or a judgment um, around what what it is. But ultimately, how do you describe the 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 feeling you have when you have a true connection? When you have zero expectation and judgment on another human being. I don't think you have much, honestly, at the end of the day. Because, I mean, here's the thing. I, 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 I get from the standpoint of a interaction with a child. Let's just use the child as an example, right? Like, you have an interaction with a child. child looks you square in the eye, right? A child has nothing to hide. Uh, he or she is open and honest with his emotions, right? Like, mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to do something, he's going to go throw a tantrum, possibly, or just flat out tell you, you know, I don't want to play with that kid or, you know, I don't want to share my toys or, you know, I want ice cream for every meal, whatever it is that they want. They have no problems at all. Like telling you, looking you square in the face and saying, Hey, look, man, this is what I want. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think there is a certain amount of connection that comes with that directness. But I think that the connection that an adult would refer to I don't think the child receives it that same way. Like, I don't, I don't think the child is thinking, oh my gosh, this is a deep longing, you know, sort of experience and we've locked eyes and this means that I'm loved and I'm cared for. Well, I don't think the child has the ability to think that way. No. But I think that there's an instinct that lives within us and it's a, a deep connection that maybe if it's a baby, and it's getting that connection and that love, it falls asleep and feels secure. And I mean, I have no idea what a baby's thinking. Probably maybe nothing, (laughs) but there's this probably an instinctual, you know, it's an instinct. Like why do babies survive? So many babies survive. I mean, really. What do you mean? Why why would they not? Well, I mean, you have a baby, a a baby and... You're a baby. (laughs) You're a baby and... (laughs) That a baby, you know, like take any animal, you know, you've got an animal gives birth and there's some animals that come out of the womb and they start walking and they start, they can run away from prey. Prance around. Right? Yeah. What other, a human baby is born and if you just leave that baby on a bed or in a crib, it will die. You need, it's dependent on another human being to take care of the baby. Yeah, well, right? you just made my point. Like, it's it's unconditional dependence, right? Because human human offspring are born premature. Like, even if they're carried to term, they don't have the ability to care for themselves once they come out of the womb, right? So, at some point, you know, the mom's, um, you know, birth canal and, and um, uh, pelvis gets to decide, hey, this baby's head is getting to the point where I need to push this thing out of me, right? Or it's not coming out, right? So nature says, okay, well, the head's about this big, time to eject, right? And then um, the baby is born, you know, around 40 weeks or so, nine months or so, whatever the case may be, roughly. And, you know, if that weren't the case, birth wouldn't even be possible because the size of the child would, would prohibit that, right? So human offspring are born, completely dependent upon a third party. Yeah. And, and that's the, there too. I, I still, I still think that there's a type of love and connection that is unexplainable. Well, I don't discount that. Like, I mean, I totally get it. And I've read uh, many stories about children who were held versus not held. Um, and, and I know that there's some science on that. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to quote it and, and make myself look like an idiot. But 
at the end of the day, there's definitely something to that. But the question is, and the thing that I was getting at was, is an expression of affection the same thing as love, right? And so it comes down to a definition, right? What does the definition of the word mean to you, right? It, are you, of love or yeah, are you talking about love. unconditional love? Because it was unconditional well, to, love we were talking about at first. Well, sure. But right, you have to, before you have the qualifying word, right? You have to have the word itself. So the word itself is love. The qualifying word would be unconditional, right? So if we're going to qualify love as a thing, then first we need to define the thing itself. And so my contention is that words mean things. And in order for humans to communicate, the meaning has to be somewhat understood back and forth, right? So like if I say um, the word love and you interpret that with a different meaning, then we could be having the same conversation and not really be communicating the same ideas. So like the question is, is affection, demonstrating affection like care, is that love? And if I look at, at like the definition of the word love, then the answer is no. So the reason I, I don't think there is a such thing as unconditional love is because the definition is screwed if you go into this place of unconditional. I get it. So love is, so just think about that for a second, right? So love is a noun and a verb, right? So mm-hmm. love is a feeling that we get, right? It's actually defined as a noun. It's like a, a, an intense feeling of deep affection, right? So it's something that happens internally, happens inside us, right? Or it's something that we um, describe as having, like taking great pleasure. Like you love wine, right? You take great pleasure in a glass of wine, Right. Or, or tonight's margaritas, <laughs> anything with alcohol in it. Right. So, so that would be another way of using it as a noun, right? It's a thing. It's an experience. It's a feeling, right? The verb is just like, um, if you use it in a sense, it's like, if I say, I love you, right? Love is the verb. What does that mean? Right. And it just means that I have a, I feel I'm feeling something like I'm experiencing a feeling in that moment of care of, you know, intense attraction or sexual attraction or some sort of drawing to you as an individual. But is the right? feeling love or could it, you know, the, or the feeling might be joy. I mean, I love wine because it brings me joy or I love puppies because <laughs> they bring me joy. <laughs> I love how you go down the stereotypical <laughs> puppies and <laughs> it's not st- stereotypical it's just facts <laughs> no it well it's truly facts for sure how could you not have joy when you're you got puppies all over you <laughs> <laughs> totally totally but i mean do you, do you see what i'm do you see where i'm coming from like just from a sheer like understanding what the word means like if i said i respect you right but in your mind respect and in my mind respect meant two different things then the sentence is meaningless. So at some point we have to have some consensus around what the words mean. Like there's a lot of words that get thrown around, honor, courage, commitment, honesty, right? Like these are words you and I defined when we came into our relationship. But when we talked about them, we both had different ideas of what all those words actually meant. Well, I think for myself, it comes down to connection. You mean love specifically? Yeah. Okay, but see, I think- Well, I feel the most love from you when we're, we're connected. Okay. But in that case, love would be the result of connection, right? It could be. Or the connection's the result of love. Or maybe it's a circle. It just, you know, one thing feeds itself. I, I one, think, one thing feeds the other. Right. But I mean, in that example, though, like if you say, when we're connected, I feel loved, right? Love is a noun. That would mean that you feel a deep sense of affection because we had connection. And then that word, the operating word would be connection. So maybe there's, you know, maybe there's unconditional connection or unconditional, you know, like affection. It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound the same. Of course it doesn't sound the same. It's, it's Un- different words, right? Right. But I mean, this is because I think, like I'm saying, we use words to mean things that they don't actually mean. And so the question tonight was like, what is unconditional love and does it actually exist? So we're just in trying to define the word love. Like I'm, I'm literally reading you the definition and you're like, well, that's not what it means for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wrote that definition? I don't know, man. I guess whoever writes dictionaries and, and such. 
I, I'm not really sure who the author of, of that would be. Anyhow. Anyhow. There's just something about love that can be communicated in words. But why not? Why can't it be communicated in words? So, well, first, before we go any further, like your argument is that unconditional love exists. Yeah. And I'm arguing the opposite side for those following along at home to this uh, verbal judo match. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an energy and it's hard to put words in that energy. It's like an aura and an energy. An aura it's and something energy. that's like channeled through us. But I mean, now you're getting into a whole bunch of different <laughs> definitions of things. I just, it, yeah. it, it, it's difficult. And I think we can use words to describe it. Mm-hmm. And there's experiences we have that we use sure. to refer to it. Like a cold little wet puppy nose against your cheek. I mean, that's love right there. Sure. But if we're going to argue the existence of a thing or not, then there has to be an experience of the thing that is communicable among people, right? So if you say to me, unconditional love exists, then I'm, then I'm going to say to you, okay, what experience have you had that makes you believe or argue for the existence of unconditional love? Well, I feel that love for my parents. In what sense though? Like you feel love from your parents. Okay. So now we're back to the, the real definition of the word love. You're feeling something, right? Yeah, I feel it. I, I n- under, understand it. I know that there's a love there mm-hmm. that um, that will never go away. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just a deep sense of... But so, but, okay, so here's the thing. Like, people say things like this all the time, right? And and this is this makes my brain, like, turn itself inside out. So you said there's a feeling that you experience from them that will never go away, right? I... I'm not they. I have a feeling. I know that. Or you have a feeling. That, and I love my parents, and I know that they love me. Mm-hmm. Right? There's an unconditional love, and that's there. Sure. That I think any, you know, any woman would have with their own child. Or, you know, like people talk about their dogs, right? They have a, a deep a deep love for their dog, or their dog has for them. But I get what you're saying. You know, it's it's relative. It's perception we're just putting words to communicate what that is and it's subject to whatever experience that person has had really yeah I mean I don't think I'm saying it's relative like I mean I think it's a feeling I think it is what it's defined as right so I think love is a feeling I believe love is a feeling and I believe that that feeling can come and go at any point in time right Uh, I think a lot of people confuse a relationship with a parent or a brother or, you know, cousins, aunts. I mean, anything, any, anyone that you're a blood relative with, I think people confuse a lot of times the relationship with a form of love. But love is, if love is a feeling, like, can I honestly say that my, you know, my uncle makes me, (laughs) that there's some sort of magical force that's binding me and my uncle together if we weren't blood relatives? And I'd have to say probably not. Well, no, I mean, your uncle. Why would you use your uncle as an Or even my parents, right? I'll use my parents as an example, right? Um, I spent the the first 20 years of my life uh, with my parents, obviously. And, I mean, I care for them, and I show affection for them, and I have a respect and an admiration and an honor for them for all that they've created, especially given the circumstances that they started with, Right. And I feel love for them. But, you know, if my dad showed up and hit me in the head with a baseball bat and did that repeatedly or you'd be dead, you know, well, I'd be dead. But I mean, I I can promise you that the feeling of love to that person would end immediately. Like it's it would turn into a feeling of I'm about to whoop your ass kind of a thing, you know. Well, there's an unconditional love. When you put it that way, obviously, I mean, I think. I mean, I'm 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 using a ridiculous example. I think obviously. that when I say it, that it it exists, it, it exists. So if, if there's two people, can, if we say go back to do the work, mm-hmm. become self-aware, self-love, have unconditional love, like for myself, right? So I'm my own person. 
you know, I don't, I didn't meet you to complete me, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Oh, I, I just am my own person. Broke my heart. You man. are your own person. I love myself. You love yourself. We come together. I hate myself. And I think that there's, you know, there's more power when we're together. We can create more in life together than we could as separate individuals. Right. And I'm glad you brought this up because, I mean, I think, and I've argued this before many times, um, I believe all relationships are value proposition. So I believe that you bring value to this relationship, to this partnership, and I bring value to this relationship and partnership. And because we both do, and you and I, in our specific case, I mean, we even have sat down and written out a loose agreement that we, you know, uh, expect one another to adhere to. And there are expectations there. And I think in any committed relationship or even in non-committed relationships, there's expectation, whether implied or, or explicit. And um, when those expectations, those value propositions are not lived up to, then that's when problems creep into a relationship, right? But that, I don't think, is the same as saying, I love you or feeling love because I'm in your presence. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's just, it, why is it such a difficult topic to talk about? <laughs> because, I mean, it's cool, right? Like, so many people go through life and never even think about it. Just assume that they know, you know, what love means, you know, and I am count myself among them. There's many words that I've assumed that I know what they mean. And when I actually take a hard look at them, I, I realize that I was completely ignorant and didn't know anything at all about what I was talking about. And I think there's value in acknowledging that and just realizing, hey, you know, maybe what I'm calling love isn't actually what love is. Maybe I'm, I'm expressing my feeling, right? Like the feeling creates action, right? In the, in the hierarchy of how things get done, right? You have a thought or a thought appears, then you have a feeling and the feeling causes you to act a certain way, right? Right. So if I'm feeling motivated and I want to, you know, record a podcast with my wife, right? Then that, then here we are acting on the fact that I felt motivated to create content, right? If I feel love toward you, like I do most of the time, then, <laughs> <laughs> then I do things like, hey, you know what? Let's go out to dinner. Would you like to go out to dinner? You know, let me demonstrate that I want to spend time with you and listen to you and hear what you have to say. So back to the whole question, does unconditional love exist? I think it does. Still, I think there's moments and I know what you're going to say when I say this, because you're going to say, well, that's, that's just the, you know, it, it, how do I say it in words? An idea or someone's experience of unconditional love. I think unconditional love can happen and it doesn't have to be, well, let's define unconditional love. Cause now that, that I'm speaking out loud, I'm thinking it through. Would it be unconditional love if I had a moment of, you know, I have this unconditional love for you, right? I have no judgment. I let go of my ego. I've been, I'm completely open and vulnerable. I see you. I see me and I love you and I'm in love with you. That would be my definition of unconditional love. And so something happens, you trip, you hit your head and you turn into this different guy and all of a sudden you're a big jerk and I still love you, but I'm, I'm ready to move on to a different relationship. <laughs> Would that be considered unconditional love still? Well, I mean, cause I love you. Like, and I love you. It's just not going to be in a union with you to build, build a life. Yeah. I mean, and this kind of gets into that area of like agape love, like a godlike love, like a universal sort of feeling that we all share sort of a thing you know like if if you're in an abusive relationship like if if i hit my head and became a violent dickhead right and i was hurting you and harming you right either physically or mentally then if you love yourself you would remove yourself from that situation right if you feel you know like you are worth more and you have care for yourself right you love yourself and you want to continue to have, you know, a good relationship with yourself and you would remove yourself from that situation, right? So like right. husband, father, brother, whatever, 
it doesn't the relationship i think a lot of times confuses and blurs the lines but um you know you have to look at you have to look at that from an actual sort of realistic perspective and say what's happening in this moment mm-hmm. and is you know I, I don't know that i would describe you <laughs> in a new relationship loving me from afar <laughs> as love right like (laughs) well i mean that's just like i mean i'd still love you as a person that's just one of those things you're supposed to say at parties you know like oh yeah i you know she's paralyzed from the waist down but i still love her you know kind of thing come on now no i'm serious yeah i mean i'm exaggerating but you you can still love a person and you love them enough to leave them or you love your like you said you love yourself Right. Right. So there's still love that exists there. Mm-hmm. And I think in a moment of time, maybe there was unconditional love. And then that unconditional love morphed into <laughs> just love. <laughs> just regular love. Or I don't know. Are there varying degrees of love? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, like I said, I think the whole unconditional love thing, I think it's just a misnomer for like the agape version, you know. Um, this sort of godlike love that we're all expected to sort of buy into, you know, like world peace and, you know, I feel everything that I feel for, you know, some guy I've never met across the ocean, you know, just like I feel the same thing I feel for my neighbor. I feel the same thing I feel for my brother, right? Like there's this, there's this, you know, stoic idea that, you know, if, um, if you weren't upset when your neighbor lost his wife, why would you be upset when you lost your own kind of a thing, right? <laughs> and that's stoic, right? It's like, okay, well, the same thing happened to two different people. Why would you have a different feeling about it? But the reality is, is our story is different, right? Well, we, it's because you're not connected to that person in the same way. Right, exactly. So maybe it's connection. And, right. and then maybe that's empathy that you're talking about because there are some people that will empathize with, their neighbor that just lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. It's connection, man. Connection, right? it's man. Connection. It's the connection, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think this um, almost needs a whole nother podcast because the conversation could go on. What were some of the comments people left in the Hardwater group? Um, let's see. See, Julia said no. She says, uh, we all have limits and conditions. If my brother, father, spouse partner abused, raped, or raped someone, the feeling of love and affection I had for him would be gone. Why? Because my limits were met. His behavior went outside of the conditions I have in place. We all have conditions regardless of if we want to say we do. Everyone has boundaries, hence the statement, you cross the line. Unconditional implies surrender, and that means losing either intentional or unintentional grasp on what we hold most important morally, ethically, or otherwise. I feel this means you would need to place more value on the other person and their need for validation and security in the emotional form of love than you would for yourself. What do you think about that? It's a good response. Yeah. Did it sway you at all? Well, I think it's, I get that, that there's limitations. I still think that you can experience what could potentially be described as unconditional love. And it's in that moment. I think that when you're present in the moment, you ex- can experience it. I don't think that oh, what I experience, all I can experience is what's happening right now. I can't experience what happened in the past or happened in the future, just like you talked about. So if I'm just talking about right now in this moment, I can experience that. But I'm not going to say I'm going to have unconditional love for the rest of my life till the end of time and always and forever. I think that that would be inaccurate because I don't know what other elements come into play. So if I'm just talking about right now in the moment, then yeah, I think that I can experience that unconditional love. So you think it's a a fleeting thing. It's a temporary thing that comes and goes. Yeah. But wouldn't that make it conditional? Well, it's conditional based on time. Okay. And, does, That's a condition. Does tomorrow it? <laughs> exist? Does well, like two minutes from right now doesn't exist. Two minutes behind me is gone. All I have is now. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. So for you, it's like being alive in the moment. Yeah, you experience something in the moment. Right. But you can also experience something in the past and the future. And this is the problem with most of us 
Well, yeah, we hold on to a story. We create a story about that, whatever happened. That time. And we carry that through. Yeah. And sometimes that impacts the now, the experience that we're having, and jades it in whatever way. Well, yeah, I mean, doesn't it always impact the now until, unless and until you acknowledge and accept it, right? Like we were talking about the the worthy program earlier, right? The self-esteem programs, yeah? Mm -hmm. The reason that those are so damaging is because we keep building, you know, we keep building the story up in our minds and making the feeling more intense as we recall what we think happened, even though like what we think happened probably didn't happen the way we thought it happened. Right. Well, yeah. Constantly rewriting it and making up stories to protect ourselves. Right. When we try to prove it right. Yeah. And then the same thing in the future. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not going to put this podcast out because somebody might send me a shitty comment. You know, I might, you know, like I'm protecting myself from the future. Right. I'm not going to write because somebody might make fun if I misspell a word. All right. I'm not going to speak in front of a group because people might yell at me or laugh at me or, you know, it's fear of the future, regret from the past. Right. Sort of a thing. Right. But so when you said we can't, you know, experience the past or the future or, and all we have is, or you said that you could experience unconditional love now. I'm just trying to reconcile those ideas. What, What do you mean by that specifically? Well, I think that we, we experience something in a moment and, you know, like you feel the love or you have a feeling and you're in the moment, you're present, you're connected and there's love, there's love, there's love in the air. I agree that that is possible. Right. I agree that that exists for sure. And then the experience passes Mm -hmm. and you put that in your memory bank and sometimes you share a story about it Mm -hmm. and you talk to people and share about it. And you never really can recreate that same type of feeling that you had like when you did in the moment. Yeah, no, I get that. And I, and I 100% agree. I think that in that instance, unconditionally, like that feeling that you're experiencing is real, right? I 100% believe that. I think when I think of unconditional love, it doesn't live just in the moment, just with me or just with one other person. I think I'm thinking more of this universal sort of godlike agape sort of of love, like this utopian sort of idea of what love should be or what we as humans should aspire to, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Now that you know, we talk it out even more. I think it's it's one person, one moment at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't agree either with you know, like what you're saying about this. Everybody loves everybody. <laughs> I think I think it's. It's more, you know, through connection, through experience, by being present, you can become connected Mm -hmm. and you can experience a type of love that I think is unconditional because if you're truly present and you're truly there, you've got no ego, Mm -hmm. you, ego is gone, your, um, the judgment is gone, the expectation is gone. You're just experiencing whatever it is you're experiencing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, I guess I can more easily, you know, like I said, I can understand that viewpoint. And there's a couple of people on the thread in the group who obviously believe that unconditional love is real. Leanda's one. She made a couple of comments. She says, uh, yes, it's real. The hardest part is adjusting your perception to the people and things in the world, accepting that the majority of people in the world will label your behavior as some sort of illness because they don't understand how it can be possible to forgive and love people who have done some pretty reprehensible and abhorrent things. There's also the subjective definition of the word love, which I think is kind of what you and I have been going back and forth on, just understanding what the definition of the word is in the first place. And uh, let's see, who else? Roger said, I find in my work that very few people really know what unconditional love is. They say they have it and then are the first to smack down when a loved one does something they don't agree with. And then he says, it's a tough one. So I think uh, this is one of those things that people just assume is real. You know, I think we've been handed a fairy tale story from TV and movies and music and novels on what, you know, love should be or, or what it is. But I don't really think people have thought about it or thought it through. Like just in this conversation, you and I, I think we've evolved our perspective quite a bit on what just the word love actually means like in the, in the real sense of the definition from a dictionary, you know, type meaning. Right. And then understanding what it is that causes you to feel love is, is important and vice versa for me. 
like the uh, love la- five love languages. I feel loved when you show me affection and you touch me. You are are kind and gentle with me. And I know that. Well, you tell me. I know that you you feel loved when I keep my word and through my actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you care for things and for for me, like I feel I feel affectionate strong affectionate feelings towards you. I feel love towards you um, in those in those moments. And, you know, even without those moments, sometimes I can just imagine um, like right now we're we're building, right? We're building our empire and I see how hard you're working, right? And I know you see how hard I'm working and I imagine you working hard. Like when I'm sitting at my desk, I see, like I see you in my mind's eye and I just feel this overwhelming sort of oneness with you and sometimes I'll tear up just from thinking about how far we've come and all the things that we want to create, right? So for me, that would be the feeling of love, right? The the five love languages book, when the way you described, you feel it when doesn't discount or change my argument because it's actually referring to the actual definition of the word love, which is a feeling, mm-hmm. right? Feeling or choosing to feel some way. So I think the I think the way that you frame that is absolutely valid. I think it's an important conversation. I I know of so many people in relationships and they've never actually communicated to their significant other, you know, how, how they want to be loved. And a lot of the times people will be together and, you know, they'll just love that other person the way they, they want to be loved. And sometimes, you know, that there's no connection there. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting because the way you frame that, right. When you're talking about, you know, you feel loved when, like you're, you like to be touched, right? You like to be reassured with touch and you feel love, to use your words, when I touch you, when I hold you, those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the reality of it is, is that's a story that you believe, right? Just like I believe that I'm respected and loved when you keep your word and you follow through and you know, we're pulling together on the same team and, you know, all that, all of that fun stuff, all the tasky type stuff. Right. Right. And that's a story that I hold on to at my core. But it's interesting because once you know what the story is and you share it with someone, you can actually use the story for good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like you're saying, Hey, you know, this story runs me, this story causes me to feel a certain way. So if you do this, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Like this is how you make me feel love when I'm in your presence. Right. Just touch me. Right. And then I'm doing the same for you by saying, Hey, I feel love when you do X, Y, Z. And so you can, you know, you can use the stories in a positive way. They're not always negative. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know if I, you know, caused a crack in your belief around unconditional love or not. So, uh, coming to the end of this conversation, what do you think is unconditional love just everywhere all the time? Is that a real thing? The, uh, everywhere all the time? No. Okay. But in the moment, like I explained earlier, there's moments if you're present and connected that that experience can can be there. Mhm. For sure. And I, I 100% agree with 100% agree with. So on that we are we are seeing eye to eye for sure. <laughs> eye to eye baby. Eye to eye. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I think, you know, I think that when you said the unconditional love piece around being in the moment and having that experience I think that caused me to think about it differently because I was thinking about unconditional love being the agape everywhere, all the kind, all the time, God-like sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. But the way that you frame that, I totally, I totally get that. And I would, I'll concede that. Alrighty. And, yeah. And, and by and large, I still hold to the opinion that most people don't understand what words mean and use them incorrectly. And I think the unconditional love certainly fits the bill. So I'm going to hold on to that piece until I hear you know, more information or new information that would cause me to change my mind. I'm certainly open to being, you know, being hundred percent wrong about that. It's all about the love, baby. <laughs> it's all love, baby. Cool. So you got anything to add to this, uh, lovely conversation? I love you. <laughs> I love you back, babes. <laughs> and on those words, guys, we're going to call it here. Uh, thanks very much to my lovely wife, Christina. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you being on. And I I appreciate you uh, exploring this with me. Now I have a better understanding of how you think about this topic. And we've 
known each other for 10 years. So imagine yeah. that. Imagine what happens when you talk to people. Holy moly. Crazy stuff. So guys, go out there, um, take uh, a couple of nuggets from this if you found them, and um, use them to communicate with the people close to you in your life and uh, see if you guys are seeing eye to eye on what love is and if unconditional love actually exists. But regardless of unconditional love, you can always be unconditionally kind. Go out there, meet some people, be kind to them, make the world a better place, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Have a good night. Good night. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing, and by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.